There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. <laughs> so when I was a fourth grader, I was playing on the playground at St. Joseph Laboratory School, which was a Catholic elementary school in St. Joe, Minnesota. And uh, my and because small town Minnesota, um, my third cousin. Jed was playing football at the same time I was playing on the playground, and in a weird freak moment, I stood up as he was turning to catch a football, and his tooth went into my head, which is disgusting. I'm aware, <laughs> but also、um, I have a scar that, which is why I can never shave my head. And if I ever have to shave my head, you will see I have a nice big scar where I had a bunch of stitches. When I pulled the tooth out, handed it back to my cousin, <laughs> and then started crying when I saw all the blood. There are scar stories, right? We all have a scar story. I have one in my eyebrow from running into a coffee table, which I feel like many, many people have that same scar and scar story. In fact, if you ever need to break the ice in a small group of people for the first time, this is such a good starter question. Asking people to share their scar stories—they are very interesting, and you actually learn a lot about somebody by the scar story they choose to tell in that moment. And no, on behalf of my husband, who is not here, but I will not make you share your scar stories with each other. Although I'm sure there are some really good ones out there. Today's Gospel story is one of these scar stories. I think. Sure, it's not like Jesus used it as an icebreaker at gatherings, though. Who knows? I kind of like to imagine Jesus being like, "Okay, let me tell you about this one thing." His story of life after death matters, and his scars in these moments matter. It's the third week of Easter, and as Pastor Chad noted last week, the rest of the world has already moved on. Maybe not in Minnesota. We are firmly stuck in winter still. But in the church, we are in the middle of the Easter season. One of the reasons we spend so much time in this season is because we have a lot of questions about this resurrection thing and what it means. And as much as we want to move on, we spend a good number of weeks here because we know we can't possibly have it all figured out in one day, even if that one day is Easter Sunday. We have so many questions about what the death and resurrection of Christ means for us, and today's gospel puts us right in the middle of maybe the biggest one, which is what does a resurrected life look like? And wouldn't it be great if I had the answer to this one, right? Part of being a Christian means we have to be okay with a little mystery, with not knowing, with not having all the answers always. It is this very thing that causes some people to walk away from the church. We like answers. We want black and white. But sometimes in the church we are called to dig a little, to wonder together what God might be trying to tell us in this moment and in this place 
through the scripture we have before us on this day. Even if it's one we have heard before, we have never heard it on this day. Now, just before this selection of Luke's gospel is the story of Emmaus, where Jesus appears to two disciples that are walking back to their hometown of Emmaus, away from Jerusalem, devastated at the loss of their friend and teacher. Jesus just enters their conversation, joins them in their grief and in their walking, shares a meal, and then as soon as they realize it's him, he's gone. They run back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what they have just experienced, and that is where we enter into today's text. The beginning of Luke's 36th verse of the 24 chapter says, while they were telling them these things, which is a hard way to start, so we actually start partway in the, video, in the middle of that verse when it says, while they were telling them these things, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. They're all talking about Jesus, comparing notes about who has seen him and how they've seen him and who's heard this good news and they're trying to figure out what is going on and then Jesus just shows up. So obviously, he's a ghost, right? Because one thing they do know is that people just don't stop being dead. That's not how things work. So they think he's a ghost. And Jesus, with infinite patience, way more than I think I would have in the same moment, goes about showing them how real he is. He essentially takes a few verses to prove his humanity to this group of people who know him best, who we think should recognize that he's real. So Jesus shows them his hands and his feet. He says, touch me, feel that I'm real. And then he asks for something to eat. And then he reminds them of all the things they know already. This is such an important sequence of events for Luke's gospel. And while each gospel does have an account of Jesus showing up to the disciples, none are quite like Luke. Luke really focuses on the humanity of Jesus here, how human he is. Because as they begin to share the good news of the death of death with those in the community around them and then even outside of Jerusalem, it would be really easy for people to say to the disciples, are you sure it wasn't just a figment of your imagination? That you didn't just see a ghost? I mean, that would make more sense. Maybe it was just the spirit of Jesus. Even as they themselves, standing there with Jesus, wonder these very questions, Jesus says, I'm not a ghost. It's really me. Can you touch a ghost? No. Are ghosts hungry? No. Do they eat? No. Let me show you how real I am. I love that he gets a piece of broiled fish. I just have to say, if I ever rise from the dead, I really hope I at least get fried fish, not broiled fish. It's got to be something better than broiled fish, but that's my own personal opinion there. So Jesus shows them his hands and feet. That's the first thing he does. Now this is similar to the story of Thomas we heard last week where Jesus tells Thomas to put his hands into the wound on Jesus' side and, and says, touch my hands and feet. 
Jesus does have the disciples touch him to prove that he has skin and bones, that he is solid and real, really there in front of him. But this moment of the hands is important. Author and pastor Jonathan Martin this week said there are these moments of being present with the body of Jesus, despite our fear and doubt, are really important. The body itself, the physical presence of God, is important to this story. He said, look, I offer no judgment to anyone who is in a place of doubt. I doubt often, and doubt is actually part and parcel of a robust faith, but if you are stuck in it, I'm telling you, you are in your head. You need to get out of your head, and to quote you too, get out of your own way and get into your body. Get in and around some bodies that are wounded. I promise you, he says, Christ is revealed in them. Doubt is important on the road to faith, but it does not have intrinsic value in and of itself. Doubt postures us to receive the summons of this earthly, touchable, tasteable Lord of the dirt, he says. Do you need to touch? Stretch out your hand. Do you need to feel? Trace your hands over my wounds. You come looking for evidence. I will give you my body again and again. See this moment where the disciples touch Jesus to feel that he has flesh and bones, where they watch him eat? Those are proof that he is not a ghost, that he is in fact human. And they need it in that moment. And we get it. How many times have we too longed for this very thing, to have proof that this is real, that Jesus is real? As Pastor Martin says, we can still experience this earthy, touchable God of ours by connecting with others, especially those who are wounded. And this piece is key to today's text, I think. Because even though it's not as explicit as the Thomas story, scholars believe, and I agree with them, that Jesus in this text is showing the disciples his scars. That Luke separates the physical touching of Jesus and the showing of his hands and feet is important because the scars of Jesus show something different than the physical resurrection. Touching Jesus shows he's real and proves he's risen. But seeing the scars prove he is Jesus. The crucifixion matters to who Jesus is. And the scars present after the resurrection mean that the crucifixion is overcome, but not forgotten and not erased. Scars are the very human part of Jesus coming through this very divine moment. See, Jesus doesn't lose the human parts of himself in his resurrection. He is restored to life, fully participating in all that life has to offer. Yes, even broiled fish. And who he is matters. But what he has been through also matters. I think this is so beautiful and so key to this good news that Restoration is real and renewal is real, but the scars on the risen Christ show us that our scars matter too. Who we are matters. 
and we are risen to new life and death no longer has the final word those things matter but also what we have been through in this life here and now matters too the scars we bear matter what we have weathered in this life matters we can be healed and we can be made new but we don't have to be perfect in order to receive our resurrection our scars matter they are a part of who we are now and they are a part of who we will be in the resurrection life to come scars aren't by definition gaping wounds anymore right there is healing that has occurred in a scar but as Hemingway says and I have quoted before we are strong in our broken places Jesus showing up without being perfectly healed means we can show up when we are not perfectly healed and thank goodness for that right what scars do you bear what things have you been through that have been raised that have been given new life I don't know what got you out onto the roads and into this place today. I don't know what made you compelled to come here. I don't know what scars you carry with you, physical or emotional, or what wounds you have that aren't even close to being a scar yet. But no matter what you are going through or have been through, it is not the end of the story. See, Jesus' scars matter but they are not the end of the story the worst thing was not in fact the last thing and life continues resurrected life means doing the next thing Jesus lets his disciples touch him to feel that he is real and he eats some fish and then he reminds them that what they are seeing and feeling and looking at was something they had been told to all along in verses 45 and 46 it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them thus it is written the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day Jesus is not saying a single new thing here in fact he's just repeating what he had been telling them the whole time he was with them before he died but somehow it's not the same anymore Somehow they hear it differently. They understand it differently. Resurrected life changes everything, right? They simply understand what they already knew in a new way once Jesus is standing in front of them saying, I told you this would happen, and look, it did. And while this passage does answer so many questions for us as followers of this resurrected Christ, I also love that it gives us this big grand permission to not have all the answers verse 41 says while they were in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering I just think that's such a great sentence they were joyful at what they were seeing but they were still not quite believing it and also had a lot of questions while they were looking at him this is the Christian life in one sentence right this tells us how normal 
and expected our own confusion is even in the midst of the joy of the resurrection. We don't have to fully get it to be disciples. We don't have to have all the answers in order to practice resurrection. We don't need to know everything in order to be witnesses to what Jesus has done for us and for the world. At the end of today's gospel, Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. This is how today's gospel ended. Notice it doesn't say you might be or you could be or you should think about it or if you choose to be a witness, then you can be a witness. No, it says you are. And in the Greek it is you are already a witness to these things. This is the thing you have been declared to be. This has already happened for you. And that gives us something tangible to do. We hear this good news today. We too are standing in that room with joy and disbelief and confusion and questions, and we want those same things the disciples want. We are in that room, joyful and confused. But God is in that room, too. God is in this room, too. God is with us. There is new life right in front of us, and everything is different now. We understand everything different now. Our own lives take on a different understanding as well. So we get to point out the places and people, and moments where we see God. That is what it means to be a witness. We get to point out places where we see resurrection because we are witnesses. And we get to invite others into the story. American novelist Wendell Berry wrote a short essay called The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. I'm not sure if anybody's read it before. It's great. But he offers suggestions to do this very thing, to experience and witness to the resurrection. And he calls this practicing resurrection, which I just think is a really beautiful phrase. And I'd like to end with part of his essay today. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord love the world, work for nothing. Take all you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Ask the questions that have no answers. Give your approval to those you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Put your faith in two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are yet to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Go with your love to the fields. 
Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Practice resurrection. And praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Sing it out, church. And praise the King. Death's defeated. And hallelujah, he's alive. 